slow it down some. No split clown bum. Your gold hit sound dumb. Hold it now. Crown them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I am truly excited to be here today. We have got a lot, and I mean a lot, of stuff to cover today. Before we get into what we're going to tie about, let's make sure to go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure to follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram accounts Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. Facebook and YouTube search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. You can also go to the Logan Blackman Show.com. Check out our latest blog post. We should have a blog post ready for you by Thursday, but do not hold me to that. Do not hold me to that. If we if we get it out by it will be Thursday or Friday. It'll be Thursday or Friday, so make sure to follow those different links on social media, and then you will also be able to access those links on theloganblattmanshow.com, so I would greatly appreciate if you checked out the website. And, of course, the most important thing here, make sure you follow the Logan Blattman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to leave a rating out of five stars on both. It doesn't need to be a five-star rating exactly, but if you know you want to be nice and give me a five-star rating, I would greatly appreciate that. But if you don't feel like the show is up to snuff, then that's fine. You can give a show however you please. Just have, just make sure to leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, I've got a lot of crap I want to talk about today, but I want to have some little fun first because we're going to get into some serious talking points. So I feel like the best way to start off said serious talking points is to ease you into it. Is easy, like, you know, the I saw this on YouTube the other day on like YouTube shorts. When you're trying to get something out of somebody, you're trying to get them to tell you some bad news or something, you got to make them laugh first. So you're going like, oh, um, man, that commercial, this guy skiing while he's going snowboard with, snowboarding with the dude was kind of funny. And they go, yeah, that is true. It says, so your mom passed away. It's like that. Then you got to, then that eases the tension a little bit. Like you got to start him off smoothly. You can't just go right into it. Like your first interaction, say, sup, dude. Like these guys, they're all wearing the mystery gang outfits. I should have thrown on my Scooby-Doo outfit. And the reason he's wearing the Scooby-Doo outfit and all the mystery gang outfits is because it's Halloween. I know it's not Halloween for you guys anymore. It's November 1st for you. It's still October 31st for me. So we are going to talk a little bit about Halloween, namely Trick or Treat, which we've done on the show before, but I feel like it's always nice to re-up this kind of stuff. And I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know if this is how it works in other states, but in Iowa, mainly Des Moines, we do beggars night or more around the central Iowa area. So I don't know. Oh, I'm watching some action right now. I know the world series is on, but this is the first week of action. So what am I going to do to watch the world series, which the Rangers are currently winning? Why would I want to watch the world series when I got Buffalo taken on Toledo in a snow game where they have a freaking dunk tank every time they scored a touchdown? The Toledo has 21 points right now. It's 21-7. We got about six and a half minutes left in the second quarter. If we are doing this with the snow game, they have dunked someone in the dunk tank three times to this point. It is amazing. And people are wearing their Halloween costumes and stuff like that as well. But Baker's Night's always fun. It's the day before Halloween. I, I don't trust, like, my grandma lives in Windsor Heights. They do their Baker's Night on Saturday, the 28th. That's not normal beggars night. I don't know why. why I never try, If you're trying to figure out something that's going around around the city of Des Moines, do not try and go to Windsor Heights and say, hey, what do you guys do? Because they do something completely different every single year. They don't even have a 4th of July parade on the 4th of July. I don't even know if it's in July. Like it's, It is one of the most insane cities in the state of Iowa. Their police officers are bored as hell the entire time. Their speed limits are ridiculous. Like They got a Walmart, Aldi, and Hy-Vee within 30 feet of each other. 
Like, you don't need that many grocery stores. I know Walmart's not technically a grocery store, but still, they sell groceries there. You don't need that many grocery stores that close to each other. It makes absolutely no sense. They got one of the few Dairy Queens in Des Moines still. There's one off Douglas, and there's one in Windsor Heights, and I think there's one in Waukee. Other than that, I don't know where they all are. I think those are the only few ones left. Like, Windsor Heights is an odd, 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 odd state. Or a state. It might as well be a state compared to the rest of Des Moines, but I digress at this point. Now, Beggar's Night is a fun time. You get her dressed up in your Halloween costume. You go out and get candy. It's a great time. But with that comes a little bit of fear. And that fear comes in the fact that you don't always know what kind of candy you're going to get when you knock on the door of some houses. Like the Blackman household. When we were growing up, my parents always started the night off with good candy. So they had two bowls of candy. They had two bowls of candy. They always started the night off with the good candy. With the very nice, yummy candy, like you got all the gummy stuff, you got the nerds, you got all that stuff in there. And then the other bowl, you got freaking Almond Joys and freaking Mounds. Like, it's the worst bowl. And if you didn't have two bowls, don't worry, that stuff was at the bottom of the good bowl as well. It was absolutely horrific. So you had to make sure to hit the Blackman household early, otherwise you're getting Almond Joys and Mounds. That is terrible. That is, that is, that is inhumane. That's absolutely inhumane. But there were some houses that were, you know, had good candy. Some people had king-sized candy bars. Which in the Blackman household, we didn't really have all of that. Especially like the peanut butter ones because my sister is allergic to peanuts. <laughs> Lol. But there was one time, me and one of my friends were walking down the street. And we'd go to a house, you know, as you do on Halloween, on Beggar's Night, whatever. You knock on the door and they had the king-sized candy bars. They didn't bother putting them in a bowl or anything. They had them in like that tray. I don't know what you'd necessarily call it. It, it, it. They were still in the box, essentially, but the box was peeled back. And I tell my joke, a pretty hilarious joke, as you might expect, and I get my candy bar. And my friend goes up to take candy, and his strategy throughout this time period, I think he did it once or twice, like years, like one or two years, and this was the first time I ever seen him get caught. And he did this thing called, just saying really fast, persecute! And then just grab all the candy, cut like a handful of candy, and sprint away. And I'd just be standing there like chuckling with the person that just got, you know, fleeced for a bunch of candy. Because usually, you know, like, I'll oh, take one, take two. Like, you, they give you a specific amount normally. Sometimes they're really cool and they say, hey, yeah, just take what you want and then get out of my house. Kind of those, or get off my yard. We didn't enter into the premises and all that stuff. But they were, we would stand there. And he would go up there and say, puppies are cute, really fast and run away. And i just go, ha, 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 that was hilarious, wasn't it? And they go, ha, ha, yeah, that's hilarious. Now get out of here. But this time, this one particular house, he got caught. I'm not joking. She caught his arm. I've never seen I've never seen reflexes this fast. Oh my god, Buffalo just threw a pick. Are we house calling it? Are we house calling it? No, he gets caught from behind. So we got a fumble and then we got an interception back to back drives. That's really fun. It's like watching the Lions or Raiders game last night. Almost a halftime too. Do you get dunk tanked for a turnover? Is that gonna happen here? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that. But she had the quickest reflex. I have no doubt in my mind she could have played in the major leagues. Like, her reflexes were so fast. She could play goalie in hockey. That's how quick her reflexes were. It was absolutely ridiculous. And she was not white-knuckling his wrist. It's not like she accidentally caught it and he pulled away and she caught his hand. No. She grabbed his arm, white-knuckled it, and said, put it back. And he put it back, and I got two candy bars. And he thought I was going to get one for him. Hell no, I'm not getting one for you. I'm getting one for myself, me, myself, and I. That is it. I'm not giving you nothing. You got caught red-handed. That's your own problem. Figure out some new way to steal a bunch of candy bars. Like, we used to raid the cauldrons. 
you know people would set those out in the front step and you just eat get as much candy as possible you flip off the sign that says take only one please and you take as much as you can sometimes even dumping the whole cauldron in your bag i'm not saying we did that but i'm not saying we didn't either it's kind of those mystery areas for you but man the puppies are cute thing was hilarious just because he got caught so fast i've never seen anybody do that she was a, like this is my parents age I don't remember how old we were, so what? This was probably, we were about 24. <laughs> we're 25 now, so my parents were, uh, no, we were, I, I don't really know how old we were. I don't know when, when we stopped doing trick-or-treat. It's kind of one of those things, like, in school, like, I remember growing up, missing recess was a big thing. Like, I loved recess growing up. So, like, the fact that you go to middle school and there's no recess there was a really stressful time period when I was in elementary school. Like, you're sitting there, it's like, oh, we're always going to have recess? This is fun. I get to go outside, I get to play basketball, I get to do all this other, play Dragon Ball, which is a stupid game. I'm not going to take the time to explain it here. But we do all these different things at recess, and then go like, man, they don't even have that in middle school? You stay in that building the entire day, and looking back now, like, I have the same fear of doing that now that I did when I was in elementary school. But then once you get there, you don't even realize you're not doing it anymore, it's kind of like that, like trick or treat. I don't remember what age we stopped doing it, but it was kind of just like this natural process where you didn't go out and get candy anymore. Where you're at the point where it's weird to go out and get candy. That was kind of one of those times. You're getting toys at Christmas. You don't really realize it's not happening until it's done. And then once you're old enough, you're like, yeah, it don't matter. Like trick or treating. I, I probably could still go up. I'd probably get some weird looks. I'd probably say, get off my porch and all that stuff. You, you know, you can't do that anymore. I'm 25 years old. I turned 26 in two weeks. I can't do that no more. It's impossible. So I feel fine doing it, not doing it now, but back then as a kid, like when you're first starting to go trick-or-treating, the fact of you not going out to get candy is a scary thought. But then once it happens, it stops now. But when you're old enough and you own a, a house or apartment and stuff like that, you have kids go around the neighborhood, knock on your door, get candy, tell you jokes, do all that stuff. I didn't do that last night. I'm not going to lie. I was planning on it. I was planning on entering the door for a little bit. And then I just got to the point where no one was coming. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to set the bowl on the front step and we're going to be fine. But my house doesn't have a front porch light. So I don't think anybody actually came up to the house because they just saw this pitch black house to grab candy. I don't think they did. I thought they were, I think they were scared. There's like a little pathway up to the house or steps to get up there. And I don't even know if they actually saw that I had candy. I, I don't know. So I've got this giant bowl of candy that I don't know what to do with now because I'm not going to eat it all by myself. And I'm that depressed. Like, I'm not going to eat all of it. But I thought it would be fun here on this Halloween edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I, I guess post-Halloween for you listening right now. But it's still, again, still Halloween for me. It's 8 o'clock right now. Like, I, it's still Halloween for me. So I've got this tier list open. We haven't done a tier list in a while. I honestly don't remember the last tier list we did. I, 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 oh, the, the preseason college football thing, which I need to get Brady back on so we can discuss our preseason expectations for college football and stuff like that. And we got a lot of college football stuff to cover today, so do not worry about that. But this tier list goes S tier, A tier, B, C, D, F, and never had it. So, like, there's the pretty bog standard candies on here. We're going to try and go in as much of an order as possible. Uh, the first one on here is the 100 grand bar. So, a few years ago, you know, COVID first kicked off. My mom got COVID. Or no, no, it wasn't during COVID. It was during, um, her and my dad were doing this diet thing. I thought it was during COVID, but no, it was during this diet phase they were doing. And you weren't allowed to have any candy bars or like any sweets or anything like that. Like none of your food was seasoned and stuff like that. It was really strict. And she had a hundred grand bar. 
She got it from like work or something. I don't remember exactly how she would manage to get this tiny ass hundred grand bar, but she kept calling it a thousand grand bar. I've never heard of a thousand grand until that day. But now every time I look at that candy bar, I think a thousand grand. And that's not right by any stretch of the imagination. It's a hundred grand. You can't have a thousand grand. So a hundred grand bar, honestly, I don't, I didn't have that. Because her and my dad would do this weird thing where they go like, hey, Logan, we could watch you eat. You could eat some good food. We could watch you eat. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. So she was like, you can eat this 100 grand bar and I'll just watch you eat it. Like, it's just one of those things. Uh, 100 grand bar, honestly, I don't think I've actually ever had a 100 grand bar. I don't think I have. I understand the the nuance of a 100 grand bar. I know what it is. I've seen people eat it before, but I don't think myself, I don't think I've ever had one before. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I ever have had one. Three Musketeers. Uh, this is not my favorite, but it's definitely not the worst. I'm not the biggest fan of just straight nougat like that. Unless I'm thinking of something. No, that's Baby Roost. That's the, the combination. But it, straight nougat, it's not terrible, but it's not definitely not my favorite. I'll throw that son of a bitch in D tier. I think that's a fair, fair thing for him. Airheads. I found this out today. I didn't know my dad didn't like Airheads. I got a bunch of Airheads for my Halloween candy. So maybe they just didn't like the candy. I don't know. I, I definitely didn't have no Almond Joys, which we'll get here to in a little bit. But Airheads are solid. Airheads are very solid. I'm going to throw... I'm looking around. C tier? C or B tier? I like myself an Airhead every now and again. I don't get them consistently. But like high school football games growing up, always got some Airheads. They're cheap. I got to get Airheads. So we'll do the B tier. Almond Joys. There we go. Uh, straight to F tier. The worst candy imaginable next to Mounds. Baby Ruth? I don't mind a Baby Ruth. Not necessarily my favorite candy bar of all time, but we could throw that We could throw that up at C tier. I think that's fine. I think Baby Ruth's fine in C tier. Butterfinger. I loved myself a Butterfinger at William Penn. We had them in the vending machines of our dorm room. I would get one, not like all the time, but I would get one fairly consistently from the vending machines. Always cold, always sticks to the roof. Your mouth sticks to your teeth, so you gotta be like weird and picking your teeth and stuff like that. But I'd stick Butterfinger strictly in A. Like when I go to Snooky's over there in Beaverdale, I'll get a chocolate Butterfinger Arctic Blast. They are delicious. I got Butterfinger in my, um, what do you call it, concrete mixer at Culver's the other week. Like, it, it, Butterfinger's fantastic. I, I don't know if I'm ready to put it up in S tier, but it's good. Candy corn. I don't mind candy corn. I really don't mind it, but I'll put it next to baby or to Three Musketeers. I'll put it down in D tier. I could put it in C tier for corn, but we'll put it down in D tier because it's not my favorite. I don't dislike it, but I definitely don't like go for it. Crunch Bar. I used to really like Crunch Bars, but we're going to put that in B tier next to Airheads. I like a Crunch Bar every now and again. I haven't had one in a while, but I used to really like Crunch Bars. Dots. I like myself some dots. We're going to put the dots up in B tier. Back in like... When was it? Ninth grade or something like that? It's something around that time. I don't, no, it might not have been ninth grade. It might have been like seventh grade or something. In math class, we had... Again, I'm, I'm just getting all this information wrong. I don't remember what class it was. <laughs> but we had to make a giant box of like a candy. It didn't, I don't, it didn't need to be a specific candy or anything, but my mom and I made dots. We made the sour dots. Most notably, the sour... Spooky dots that were for Halloween. So they had some glow-in-the-dark ones in there. Next one, uh, Fun Dip. Fun Dip is elite. We're throwing Fun Dip in B tier. I don't know if this is a bad thing or a good thing or whatever. I liked the Fun Dip, the you know, the dipstick, that thing. I liked that thing. I liked the Fun Dip. Uh, gummy Bears. Gummy Bears are one of my favorite candies. I'll throw that straight in A tier. I like myself some, 
some uh, <laughs> some gummy bears. The reason I'm laughing is because I looked at what's next on here. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Chaw, The Legends of Henry Bankshaft. It was one of the videos that a couple of my friends and I watched religiously growing up. There's two of them. I'd recommend highly that you watch them. We'd quote them all the time. We made Brady actually sit down and watch both of them on Friday. So it, they're very, very good videos. I would re- highly recommend it. But there's a line in Shaw where he says, Paydays, Almond Joys, and Heath Bars. Now that is just a list of shitty-ass candy bars. We'll throw Heath Bars straight in F tier. And then while we're at it, oh wait, no, is there no Payday on here? I thought I saw a payday on here. We'll throw Heath Bar straight down there. I don't mind Heath Bar, actually, but I'm doing it for the memes. Only My mom used to get Heath Bars all the time. Hershey's? I don't mind Hershey's. I know there's like a mixed bag around Hershey's. Like, people are, don't know what they like them or not. I'll put them right in the middle. We'll put them at C tier. I think that's fine. I like Hershey's every now and again, but it's not nothing my favorite. It's not my favorite. Uh, Hot tamales? I like spicy food. I do. Like, I'll go to Indian restaurants and get five stars and all that. Thai place, I'll get five stars. I love myself some spicy food. I just can't get around hot tamales. I'll put those in D tier. Not my least favorite, but definitely not anywhere near my favorite. What is this one? Jelly beans? So hit and miss. If they're the Starburst jelly beans, we are we are doing really good. If they're the Starburst jelly beans, we're doing really good. If they're standard jelly beans, I'm not a massive fan. We'll put those down in D tier as well. Jolly Ranchers. Those are A tier. Those are borderline S tier. Not going to lie. It, it, we'll, we'll adjust once we get to it, if we get anything up in S tier, which I'm looking around. We might, we might, we might, we might. But we'll put Jolly Ranchers in A tier. Very close. Hershey's Kisses. We'll put those in C tiers as well. Just stick them with the Hershey's. Kit Kat. I like myself a Kit Kat, but I'll put Kit Kat in B tier. I think B tier is fair. I don't. I, I wouldn't put it up there with Butterfinger, Gummy Bears, or Jolly Ranchers. I don't think I could do that. The Krabby Patty sandwich, the SpongeBob Krabby, pa- Krabby Patty sandwich, little tiny squishy things, uh, D tier. Other than the fact that they're in SpongeBob, I, they're not. They're usually stale. I don't care if you if they were just made in the factory yesterday, they're probably coming out stale. Lifesavers, I like some lifesavers. We'll put those up in B tier. I like lifesavers. Now, are we just looking at this from a Halloween candy perspective because that very much affects my next one because lifesaver mints are not Halloween candy. So I don't know how to affect that. I like myself some Lifesaver Mints, but if we're looking from the aspect of Halloween candy, if I went to a house and they had Lifesaver Mint, I would be very upset. I'll give those straight to my parents. But if I'm like in a car ride or something, I'll gladly take a a Lifesaver Mint. I'll gladly do that. But if we're talking strictly Halloween candy, that goes in F tier. That is not Halloween candy at all. Next one, Dumb Dumb Suckers. I think that's what these are. Can't really go wrong with a Dumb Dumb Sucker. We'll put those in B tier. I like Dumb Dumb Suckers. You get those at the the bank. Love those things. Peanut M&Ms and regular M&Ms. We'll have to put these on the same because I like both of them. I mean, you know what? Peanut butter M&Ms are insane. Those are so much better than peanut M&Ms. But, you know, we'll put those in B tier. I like M&Ms. They're not necessarily... They're kind of one of those things if they're out, I'll eat all of them. But if they were peanut butter M&M's, I'd throw those SOBs in A tier. Mike and Ike's, I, I don't mind Mike and Ike's. We'll put those in C tier. I don't mind them. I don't mind them. Milk Duds, I like myself some Milk Duds. Do I throw them in A tier? Do I dare throw Milk Duds in A I do. I like Milk Duds a lot. My mom used to get Milk Duds all the time. I do like myself some Milk Duds. We'll get some Milk Duds out there. Milky Way. Next one here, n- not my favorite, but not terrible. I'll put those in that in C. Don't mind it. 
Nerds, nerds was my go-to Halloween candy growing up. I love nerds. We're putting nerds in S tier. That might be insane to put nerds in S tier. I love myself some nerds. The next one, I don't even know if you how you consider it Halloween candy. I get it's the same line as the freaking the lifesaver mints. If I got this in Halloween, I would be kind of you know upset. It's pretzels. I like pretzels on a normal day, but Halloween candy, or throw that in F tier. I would not be too thrilled if I went to a house and they were giving me pretzels. I don't want that. Uh, next one, Reese's peanut butter cup. That's A. That is close to a B. That's close to S. That is very close to S. We couldn't have a lot of those at the Blackman household. So when you got anything that was peanut butter flavored, namely peanut butter Reese's or Reese's peanut butter cups, namely the Easter egg, the Christmas tree, all these different ones my dad used to get, he would get two of them. He'd stick them in the fridge. We'd get them later. That would be that was amazing. And back to the M and M sticking of st- sticking them in the fridge. The mini M and M's. Those are goaded. The mini M&M's, peanut butter M&M's, those are my two favorite types of M&M's. So the regular M&M's and peanut butter M&M's, a little bit different view on those ones. Reese's Pieces or Reese's Pieces, as some people call them. I love Reese's Pieces. I love them. I'll stick those in A tier as well. Maybe that's a controversial opinion as well. I love myself some Reese's Pieces. My dad hates Reese's Pieces. Uh, Next one, is that Sour Patch Kids? Oh, it's Ring Pops. That's Ring Pops. Uh, I, the, the stickiness of your hands after you eat ring pops is what's bringing this down a little bit. I like the taste of ring pops, but we'll throw that in B tier. Rolos, uh, F tier. I don't like Rolos. I know it's just a simple caramel chocolate thing. I, I don't like Rolos. Skittles, uh, we'll throw Skittles in A tier. Skittles are solid. Can't really go wrong with Skittles. Especially the tropical fruit Skittles, the purple box. You can't go wrong with those. Is this sweet tarts? Or Smarties. Smarties. I like Smarties. You know, I like Smarties. We'll throw Smarties in... We'll throw Smarties in A tier. I like I liked getting Smarties for Halloween. Snickers. I mean, Snickers is a staple, ain't it? We'll just throw Snickers in A tier. I love Snickers. Sour Patch Kids. S tier. Easy. S tier. Starbursts. Yeah, I like myself some Starbursts. Put those in A tier. Swedish Fish. One of my favorite candies ever. I might throw Swedish Fish in S tier. I love myself some Swedish fish. We're gonna have, we might have to throw those S tier. I'll throw Swedish fish in S tier. I think those are my three favorite candies, honestly. Nerds, Sour Patch Kids, Swedish fish. I think the, if I'm going to a gas station, those are usually the ones I'm getting. Toothbrush, pff, Halloween, F tier. Tootsie Rolls, I don't mind them. I'll put them in B tier. I don't mind a Tootsie Roll every now and again. Trolley, what is one? The crawler, so gummy worms. Again, it's kind of one of those situations, kind of like the... Um, the SpongeBob hamburger thing, the Krabby Patty, the, most of the time I get those, they feel like they're stale. I, I don't know why, but I like the flavors of them, so I'll put them in B tier. Twix, one of my favorite candy bars. We'll throw that in A, a tier. Twizzlers, for Halloween, my dad really likes Twizzlers, and I like them on road trips, but that's pretty much it. I don't like them in any other setting, really. We'll throw those in D tier for Halloween candy. Fruits and vegetables against Halloween, bottom tier. Is this great? Is this fruit snacks? I like fruit snacks. We'll put fruit snacks in B tier, but not Halloween candy. But I, I wouldn't be upset if I got fruit snacks on Halloween. Whoppers, uh, F tier. York peppermint patty. If they're cold, we're close to A tier, but we're gonna th- for Halloween. Eh, we'll throw them in C tier. We'll throw those in C tier. We kind of breeze through that, but there's not really a lot to talk about when it comes to Halloween candy. But that's my tier list. And we're gonna we might have some adjustments in here, but this is my 
I don't really have that many issues with it. Well, obviously, because it's my tier list. But S tier, we have Nerds, Sour Patch Kids, and Swedish Fish. Love those candies. A tier, we've got Butterfinger, Gummy Bears, Jolly Ranchers, which might go up to S tier. I feel like Jolly Ranchers might You know what? Jolly Ranchers are going up to S tier. I love Jolly Ranchers. Those are S tier. Milk Duds and A tier. Back to A tier. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, Reese's Pizza, Skittles, Smarties, Snickers, Starbursts, and Twix. Uh, B tier, we got Airheads, Crunch Bar, Dots, Fun Dip, Kit Kat, Lifesavers, Dum Dum Suckers, M&M, both peanut and regular, Ring Pops, Tootsie Roll, Trolley, the, the Gummy Worms, and Fruit Snacks. C tier, we got a Baby Ruth, Hershey's, Hershey Kisses, Mike and Ike's, Milky Way, and York Peppermint Patty. D tier, we got Three Musketeers, Candy Corn, which that might be high for some people. I know a lot of people hate Candy Corn. I don't mind Candy Corn. Uh, hot Tamales, Jelly Beans, the SpongeBob SquarePants, J- uh, Krabby Patty Candy, and Twizzlers. F tier, Almond Joys, Heath Bars, Lifesavers, Mints, uh, Pretzels, Rolos, Toothbrush, Vegetables, and Whoppers. Whoppers are always stale. I don't care. You cannot find me a, a nice, fresh Whopper. It is impossible. We have Whoppers at the freaking office. They're terrible. And then never heard, never had it. I, I If I've had a 100 grand bar, I couldn't tell you. I really don't remember if I've had one or not. But that's my that's my tier list for Halloween candy. I don't think it's anything like egregious. I know some people might be upset about the candy corn placement. Maybe some people think I have Swedish fish too high. Maybe I th- maybe some of them think I have M&Ms too low. Maybe that's the case as well. But I, I think that's fine. I don't really have any dire changes to it. The only one I felt like changing was Jolly Ranchers because Jolly Ranchers are just elite, aren't they? Like they're they're just perfect. Jolly Ranch. I don't know why, even why I had them in a in B in A tier. They should have just been straight in S tier. That's how it should have been. Now going off a tier list, if you're like going through a tier list, you obviously see the tiers. You got S tier all the way down to F tier. Some even below F tier. I've never seen a tier list below F tier, but you know what? I guess we had this one with never had it. But if you were ranking, like, if you're looking at college football teams, the grand scheme of college football, and you're looking at specifically the offensive side of the ball, if you're looking at the top tier offenses college football, like S tiers, like Washington S tier, Oregon is S tier. Like, those types of offense are S tier. And then you know who's at the bottom? And you know the category where you have never had it? That's where Iowa's offense is and has been for the better part of three years, four years, maybe like it has been a laughing stock of college football for the last, however many years you want to count it, but it has been a massive embarrassment for the past two years, especially the last two years. You can add in other years you want because Iowa's offense really has not been great. It really hasn't. There's not really been a time where Iowa's had a necessarily elite offense. They've had way more fun offenses, but didn't necessarily put up elite numbers. Like, you remember the Stansy offense. They didn't necessarily put up the most elite numbers of all time, but they had great weapons. They had a great quarterback. They had great running backs. They had a really good offensive line. They had everything you could want, despite the, you know, putting up 500 yards a game like we're seeing Washington do every every single week this week. Or this year, sorry. Like Michael Penix, Roman Dunze, Jalen Polk, McMillan, like this great offense that they have. And Iowa's sitting down at the bottom of the college football, floundering in regards to how everybody's doing in regards to offense. We are looking at a Sam Houston State team that I don't know has won a game yet. Let's look. They might have one win. They are not won a game. They are 0-8 to this point in the season. 
And Sam Houston State has a better offense than Iowa. I shouldn't single out Sam Houston State like that because every college team in the country, every team in college football has a better offense statistically than Iowa. Whether you want to look at it statistically or if you want to look at how the performances are, because sometimes you can have these offenses that don't put up great numbers, but the performances are there. Like we talk about the Stansy teams. They didn't always put up insane, godly numbers that we're seeing now, but they were really solid. Their performances were there. And we brought this up last week. Like last Wednesday, the last show we did after the whole Cooper DeGene fair catch thing, we had a bunch of rants that show because we had Iowa's, you know, the the invalid fair catch single, whatever the hell you want to call that thing. And you got the Bills embarrassing loss to the New England Patriots. Like it was a very rant heavy show. It was a terrible show. Like for my mental health, it was absolutely terrible. My dad had to stop listening to it when he got to the Bills part because it was hurting his mental health. It was a terrible show to listen to. It was a terrible show to do. I was reliving a lot of terrible experiences from that past weekend. And what did we say after the Minnesota game? Like, the the whole Cooper DeGene thing is going to be the thing that, like, bogs everybody's mind down because that's the main thing that happened. Like, we were, I was watching, I didn't necessarily have it on, but I was seeing clips of it on social media at the World Series last night. There was an Iowa fan sitting behind home plate saying Cooper DeGene did not fair catch the ball or something like that. Something about the invalid fair catch. Like, that's going to be the thing that dominates it. But like we said on Wednesday's show last week, there is no reason Iowa should have been anywhere near needing that to beat Minnesota. A bad Minnesota team that has not beaten Iowa at Kinnick Stadium since 1999. There is no reason that that should have been needing to take place for them to beat Minnesota. And the fact that that happened gave everybody a little bit of an out on what the real problems of the team are. Going into the bye week, especially, they've got a whole few other weeks complaining about shit until the Northwestern game, which takes place this Saturday at Wrigley Field. Like you had a whole other week to prepare for yourself for that game. And like we said last Wednesday, they don't care. Or maybe it was the Wednesday before that. Kirk Ferentz and co, they do not care how bad the offense is. If anything, they're finding joy in the fact of how bad the offense is. Like, that was a common occurrence. Every time you listen to the press conferences, they were never even thinking twice about changing the aspect of the offense. They weren't even thinking about benching Deacon Hill, who we are going on a conversation about being the worst quarterback in Iowa history, but I don't even want to go that route because it's unfair to him. He's not the starter. He shouldn't be put in this situation. He should have been benched already. There's nothing that you could tell me looking at what Deacon Hill has done and says that he should be the starter over Joey Labus. You cannot sit there and tell me that. You can't. It's impossible. Like, if he, was, if he was standing in the middle of a living room with a football in his hand, he was told to throw it at the floor, he'd somehow throw it up. That's how it, That's kind of how it seems at this point. But I can't even really be mad at him because the coaching at the quarterback position for the past however many years has been dog shit. Has been absolutely dog shit for the quarterback position. Spencer Petras, how many times were we as fans told that Spencer Petras broke every single one of Jared Goff's high school records? A Jared Goff that is currently 6-2 and two in the NFL right now and a former number one overall pick in the draft, a quarterback who has been to a Super Bowl. Like, where was that guy? There's no way Spencer Peters was this bad. Cade McNamara, we never thought he was the most amazing quarterback of all time. We never said he was going to come in and completely change things as Iowa, but we knew he was going to be an upgrade on Spencer Peters because what he was at Michigan helped them win a Big Ten championship, helped them go to the college football playoff, a guy who was not going to take any unnecessary risks a guy that was not going to put the ball in harm's way, and a guy who was just going to get the ball to the playmakers and let the playmakers make plays. That's what he was brought in to do. And that's a guy that we all thought would be perfect for what Iowa was trying to do on offense. They didn't need a guy to have this massive arm like Spencer Peters did. 
But Cade McNamara has regressed to dog water. And now he's hurt now for the rest of the season. And now we got Deacon Hill, and who's, again, the antithesis of, of Cade McNamara, who's as big as me. I would say we have about the same arm strength, just watching it. And Deacon Hill's got the arm strength of freaking Josh Allen. Like, they're, they're going from, and he's way bigger, 6'3", 260 pounds. Cade McNamara's 6'215", 220. Again, as big as me. Like, it's not, we're not going from the same quarterbacks here. We are going to the antithesis of one another, and we're shocked that it's not working. Well, the quarterback position has been so neglected at the University of Iowa in recent years, it's insane, and it's sad. And the guy who was responsible for coaching the quarterbacks just got fired yesterday. And I know you want me to point out to the offense and say, oh, the offensive coordinator got fired. And yeah, that's true. Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, and he got fired. Okay, I say fired in a loose term because he's, I, as far as I've been made aware, he's coaching the rest of the season. I could be completely wrong about that. I could be reading things wrong, but he's coaching the rest of the season and coaching through the bowl game. Everything I have read says that to me. I don't. Again, I could be completely wrong about that. But the guy who is responsible for coaching the quarterbacks, calling the plays on offense, is now canned. And to be honest, it shouldn't come as a surprise. The more the surprise is that it happened in the fashion that it did, where it was like the middle of the season, coming off a of bye week, you're nowhere near the 25 points per game margin. You're not. You're not reaching it. It's damn near impossible at this point. Like, the amount of points they needed at this point in the season to get to 25 points is long gone. So, by all accounts, he was going to lose his job. By all accounts. But then Beth steps in and fires in midseason. And it, I, I'm not joking. I watched that press conference of Kirk, at least parts of it. He was floored by this fact. He was absolutely floored by the fact that Brian Ferentz got fired. Or was going to get fired. Because if this was going to you know, stay, keep going on. If the season was going to go how it was and Iowa does whatever they do at the end of the season, they make the Big Ten Championship, God for like, like if they just say, let's say they make the Big Ten Championship game. They go on and win the rest of their games, the regular season, but the loss to Minnesota kind of opened the door to the fact that they could lose every game of the season as well. Like I was listening to Murph and Andy today, and they said, is Iowa more likely to go 4-0 the rest of the season or 0-4? I think 0-4 is more likely Given what we saw against Minnesota, I'm not going to rule out any more losses going into that game. I thought they would win the rest of the season. I thought they'd finish 11-1, and just in spite of the offense. But guess what? They lost to Minnesota somehow, and now we're looking at staring down the barrel of like losing to Rutgers, losing a, a Northwestern team that beat Minnesota earlier this year, a Northwestern team that just beat Maryland. Then we're looking at Nebraska, a solid unit, at Lincoln, and Illinois. They should beat Illinois, but who the hell knows about that game? But I don't think there was ever a thought in Kirk's mind that Brian was going to get fired. Like, it, it, I think it completely floored him. If it was his way, Brian Ferentz would be the office coordinator next year. And Carly, Brady's fiance, she texted me this morning about, you know, Iowa football. She's an Iowa State fan, but she, she texted me about Iowa football this morning and talking about the offense. And she pretty much echoed what we said last week, where Iowa does not care how this offense works. This offense works in the, the, the barrel of the Big Ten West. Like, the Big Ten West is the most atrocious part of a conference in all of college football. Excluding, like, even outside of the Power Five conferences. Like, it's insane that this is, like, normalized for college football. We're watching Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, all in the first college playoff top 25, all competing for one side of the conference. And that goes down to, you know, 
geographical regions and stuff like that. But and I don't want to bring back the legend of leaders thing. That was a stupid time frame. But they don't need to. They didn't need to change anything. This is an offense that has gotten to this point, so they don't feel like changing anything. So the fact that Brian got fired really floored Kirk, and the timing. I, you can have whatever problem you want with the timing. I think it's a little odd, the timing of this, like middle of the season, stuff like that. I was not expecting him. I was not expecting Beth to keep him throughout the season. And this is not something that 80s do or assistant 80s. This is not something they do. Fire assistant coaches middle of the season. But it was clear this needed to happen. Whether you do it now or at the end of the season, we just needed to know as fans that this was not going to continue the rest of the year. The problem is, though, I say this wasn't going to continue the rest of the year. The problem is, though Brian is really bad at his job, the offense is not going to change. And unless someone, like, I don't want, I know a lot of people are not going to be ready for this. I know there's a lot of people out there that are listening that are like, I'm not ready for this conversation to start taking place. But we need to start having this conversation, especially after the press conference. I think it's a very real reality that we are living in, where the only way this offense changes is that they get someone new as the head coach. That's the only thing that changes. Brian was only brought there because Kirk was the head coach. And the nepotism ring that Iowa had during that stretch with Barta saying, yeah, it's okay, we'll keep Brian. Like, there was never a thought that Brian was ever going to lose that job. If Kirk had his way, Brian was the successor at Iowa. If Gary Barta was still here, I would not be shocked if that was actually the case. The fact that they put in these stipulations for his contract echoes that statement. There's no reason he should have kept his job last year. Miami fired their offensive coordinator last year for having an offense that was twice as good statistically as Iowa's. They fired their offensive coordinator, and Iowa said, hey, we're going to give you these stipulations to performance bonuses and stuff like that, and you're going to be allowed to continue another season. But if Iowa wins, because this, this was something I started thinking about the more the season went on. I never went back and checked this, but was it a situation where you either got 25 points a game or you got seven wins, or you got this, or you got this, or was it 25 wins, seven wins, 25 points, seven wins, like you had to reach all those things, or was it an or, or, or? Because they're what Kirk sounded like, Brian was going to be there next year, unless this took place. And Kirk was very upset. And I mean, you can't really blame the guy at this point. I mean, you want your son, you want your children to be put in a very stable environment. You want your children to be successful. And if you're the guy who's right now the longest-serving coach in college football right now at one university, and you've got an opportunity to give your son a very good job and potentially lead him up to being your next successor, like the, do the Iowa way and just keep him in the system and stuff like that, then that would hurt. I don't know how Mama Ference is feeling about this, but there was no relationship between Beth and Kirk prior to this season. Beth's not even officially the AD yet. She's the assistant AD. She's the AD at Ball State, but she's not the AD at Iowa. So there's no relationship there. I don't. If there is a relationship, it's not a great one. I saw some reports today. They shook hands after the press conference, and it was very awkward. Very, very awkward. No players at Iowa spoke to the media today. Not one of them. But the only way this offense, quote-unquote, truly changes is if they get a new head coach. Because whoever you bring in, unless they like this super insightful offensive coordinator, there's not going to be any changes. There really isn't, and that's the fact of the matter. I think my real problem with Brian was the quarterback coaching. I think that was my real problem with it. Because as we talked about with Matt Namero, with Petrus, like, and the, the Deacon Hill, like the fact you're not even going to even think about, like they keep saying there is a firm 1-2-3 quarterback system right now between for Iowa. Deacon Hill's not even fearing losing his job. 
Like, he must be looking like prime Joe Montana in practice because what the hell is going on in the field? I have no idea. I saw someone today, he's not even Power 5 conference level, and I saw some stats that rank him like 136th out of possible quarterbacks in college football or something like that. I got to find the tweet. So it was something really bad. Where is it at? Hold on. Let's try to find this thing. I don't know if I'm going to, because I screenshotted it. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? Uh, whatever. Someone tweeted. We'll just go off this guy. I'm not even. Oh, there it is. There, it's the same tweet, though. I'm not even trying to be a smartass, but if Hill is truly the best quarterback on the roster and Iowa does not have a Power 5 level quarterback on the roster, that in itself is a fireable incompetence of the OC slash quarterback coach and whoever evaluates that position. Hill grades as number 316 best quarterback in the FBS. 316. I said 136. 316. Per pro football focus. There are only 133 teams. He's dead last of any QB who's been graded in 2023. Dead last. And they're going to sit here and tell us that there is no quarterback battle between him and Labus. Like, again, like we talked about last Wednesday, they do not like Joey Labus. They made that abundantly clear. Like, they went into the press conference and said, hey, when Peters got hurt, we put Labus in. You saw why Peters are a starter. Like, again, tell me what you don't like about the guy. Just tell me what you don't like about him. Because if he's worse in your eyes than what Deacon Hill's been doing at Iowa, we've got some really serious problems. Really serious problems. And if you're a quarterback or a wide receiver, unless you're, okay, let's put it like this. Unless you're a tight end or an offensive lineman, I don't know why you would go to Iowa to play an offense. I really don't. It's where people go to die. And maybe saying that, like look at Joe Burrow going to LSU. LSU was seen as a quarterback graveyard before Joe Burrow went there. And then now Jane Daniels throws there, and in my opinion, should be a favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Like That was a quarterback graveyard for a while as well. Danny Etling played at LSU. Former Purdue quarterback. Played at LSU. That is insane. And Iowa, rightfully or wrongly, is in that same boat. If, they're, if you're sitting there telling me that he is better than Joey Labus, we got some serious problems. And the coaching at the quarterback position has been atrocious. And that's putting it nicely. That's putting it very nicely. Like, this whole situation is just a freaking mess. And I can't say that I'm upset about it, because I'm definitely not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. This is one of the coolest things that's happened. And I never want to wish for the downfall of anybody, but something needed to change, because if this didn't happen, Lord knows how long Brian Ferentz would have been at Iowa, whether that's an odds coordinator or, God forbid, a head coach. I've already stated my claim for Chris Kleiman, Kansas State head coach, Colin Klein coming as the office coordinator. And given what Kirk says, I would be kind of surprised at this point if he comes back as head coach. I don't think that relationship between him and Beth is great if it if it's anywhere close to average. So I would be kind of surprised at this point. It sounds like he's leaving. And I hate for him to leave like this because he's done so many good things for the University of Iowa. Like he made a lot of people growing up here in the state of Iowa like myself become Iowa fans. A lot of very exciting moments from the University of Iowa watching football, watch some competitive football. Sure, they've had some bad moments in there. But for the most part, I've had a very, very, very great time watching Iowa football under Kirk Ferentz. But this way they're going, like you can look at the defensive side of the ball and that's great. But the way they're going on offense is only going to keep pile driving them closer and closer to hell. And that's what we're kind of at right now. We might as well be at hell firing an offensive coordinator mid-season that the head coach did not agree with, we're at hell. That's what this level is. 
So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the rest of the season goes. I'm intrigued to see how the next home game goes. Because they're, they're not even on the road. They're at Wrigley. I mean, technically on the road because it's in Illinois. But, yeah. I don't think if Kirk – I don't think Kirk wants to change anything on offense. That's what really – that's what struck a nerve with the, the press conference. That struck a nerve is not the right thing. But we said this last week. We said this Wednesday. They don't want to change anything. So the only way to make change is to force change. And sometimes forcing change isn't the nicest thing for everybody. But sometimes it's for the best. And that's kind of the situation which we were in. Drake Kulik, he went to he took to Instagram today, and uh, he former Iowa player, host of one of the hosts of Walk on, Washed Up Walk Ons podcast. He took to Instagram. It was not very nice to Miss Beth on Instagram. He she, he posted, "You pretend to want," and I checked this on his actual Instagram account. So I I was making sure this wasn't just a screenshot someone made up. Added her three times on this thing though. You pretend to want the best for Iowa athletes, yet you cause more turmoil within the program by interjecting this bullshit midseason. You showed your ignorance and your willingness to fold under pressure. You know nothing about football, yet you pretend to know what's going to lead to the future to future success. Double question mark. Ha 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 in all caps. You're just like any other politician. Eyes closed listening to the mob. You're a coward and fake leader of the university. Again, tweeted at her three times. Tweeted at her three times. That is hilarious. And I've been seeing all these tweets commenting on because I have not listened to the Washed Up Blancons podcast before. I've I've heard of it numerous times. One of my friends really listens to it quite a bit. Someone said this dude took the ball and took his ball and powered and quit the podcast temporarily because he was so mad about the offense. And then in between small time NBA MMA matches and playing poker, he has the balls to call Beth Goats a coward. <laughs> it is kind of funny how all this stuff has taken place. And then Tyler Kluver. One of the other hosts of the Washed Up Podcast, Washed Up Walk-Ons Podcast, said, "BF is Drake's guy. Brian Ferentz is Drake's guy. He's hurting everyone. Try to remember that opinions shared on our personal accounts are not collective stance of the Washed Up Walk-Ons. <laughs> I'm with the majority here, in a much less sense of a, in a much less celebratory manner. Our pod will come out Thursday, and we'll discuss there. That was really. I think the tagging her three times is really funny. I think it's the best way to go about that." <laughs> Every AD in America wouldn't have given him a chance to finish out the season. They would have canned his ass last Monday. Drake showed his ignorance with this post. This one's from an Iowa State account. The hilarious part about all of this is that firing a, quote, assistant coach isn't exact, isn't usually an AD's decision to make, but the, the rampant nepotism in the University of Iowa program basically forced that to be the case. I agree with that. You know, that was the only way it was going to happen, just firing like this, because it's going to get... It, Man, I saw, I actually saw real people, real people with real brains that work and stuff like, well, I don't know if they work, but actually saying, like posting his record as the the OC, like how, how thick can you be? How stupid can you be? <laughs> like, really? I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but really, how stupid can you be if you're going to actually sit there and post a record and say that's Brian Ferentz's responsibility. That record is because of Brian Ferentz. You either A, and I hate doing this, but you either A, don't know anything about football, or B, have never watched an Iowa game in your life if you think the offense is the reason that they're winning these games. The reason they went into that Michigan game as 14-point underdogs is not because of the defense. 
is because they know their offense is not going to do anything against one of the best defenses in college football. They're not going to adjust to anything when they know their weakest unit is the odds line and quarterback, and Michigan's strongest unit is the defensive line, namely their two edge rushers. Guess what? We're going to keep doing five-step drops on under center. They're not going to change anything. And you know what happens when you're doing that shit? Your defense gets no time to rest, and then you get blitzed. That's the problem. Your defense getting killed because your offense keeps going three and out. They didn't get into the 20-yard line one time against Wisconsin. And yet they won the game. And yet they won the game. They didn't didn't get into the red zone one time, and they won the game. And you're telling me the offense was because, yeah, they had a massive run in that game, sure. Yeah, they had a massive 80-plus yard run. Awesome. But whenever they're underdogs, it's not because of the defense. It's not because of this high-powered offense, because Michigan's offense was quarterbacked by Iowa's quarterback before he got hurt. Sure, they had Blake Corm, they had Hassan Haskins there, very good players. But man, they don't adjust. That's the problem on the offensive side of the ball. You've got to adjust. And Iowa, for the better part of five years, has not adjusted a single thing. And now we're sitting as everybody is talking about it. Everybody in the realm of college football is talking about it. And I saw this tweet, and this is a long one, so bear with me. A lot of people, a lot of talk. Of the timing of Goat's decision to announce this in season, I can see the merit of both sides of this, but I don't think people are giving her enough credit or respect here. She was a student athlete in college. She's been around athletics and teams all of her life. She was assistant and head coach at collegiate level. She has been athletic admin for over two decades, including the AD of Ball State. Frankly, if you want to question her credentials or debate whether she knows what she's doing, you are free to make yourself look uninformed. There's no way this there is no way this decision was arrived at easily. Glib, glibly, whatever that means. I don't know. Man, that's stupid. <laughs> or without great deal of con- consideration. You also have multiple administrative mishaps from the Gary Barta era at play, which Gary Barta hated all throughout Iowa. Like, it's not even really a, a debate on that one. Never been a liked person at Iowa. First, the nepotism loophole. This wasn't changing while Gary was the AD because of the end of the architect, because he was the architect of it. He began, he has been. Gone now for just three months, current University of Iowa President Barbara Wilson started her job in 2021. The nepotism loophole began in 2012 with Barta saying he was the one who hired Brian Ferentz, which, lol, but it's t- but he has always but has always been lol. The second is the contract Barta amended for Brian this offseason with the performance parameters. This helped to make Iowa even more of a laughing stock in offensive futility than it would have otherwise been, and Iowa's offense has been weekly a national punchline all season long. That's not good for the program's future. Bad offense in Iowa football has almost reached the meme level amongst people who pay attention to the sport. I think administrators at Iowa have been planning the change with regards to the nepotism loopholes since Sparta announced his retirement. Why they chose to announce it now, I don't know. Some will say that this has disrupted the team. I guess it could be, which, yeah. You're going in the middle of the season like this. I don't necessarily the timing's kind of odd. That's that's whatever, especially when you're trying to quote like it's it kind of reminds me to a certain extent like just ran, the randomness of the announcement. When the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore, they were in the middle of a playoff push in Cleveland. They announced they were moving to Baltimore in the middle of the season. And the Browns ended up missing the playoffs and then obviously moving to Baltimore. That's kind of what it like you're in a push for a conference, however feasible that actually is to go to a conference championship game, given the Minnesota game. The middle of the season is kind of, you know, odd. It can cause a lot of unnecessary tension in the locker rooms and stuff like that. We'll we'll see how it carries out, though. The schedule is easy enough to where it shouldn't affect them, but Lord knows. 
This was a shit sandwich that has been sitting out on the countertop for well over a year and relative to the nepotism for over a decade. I understand why Kirk doesn't like it, but he helped me. He helped to make this bed. An AD and head coach should not be chums. In today's world of collegiate athletics, that is just begging for abuse of power and circumstances. Circum, circumventions. Circumventions of protocols. It's bad business. Guts and Wilson chose to step in and put a stop to it. Whether or not you like the timing, okay, not a hill to die on, in my opinion. But the meat and potatoes of why the decision was made, the facts are infutable to all but most myoptic apologists. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a very, very hot topic in the world of sports. It's a very hot topic in the world, especially of college football, obviously. Like, it's, it's insane how big the story, like, it gets brought up every single week. There's a whole ass uh, lever on Twitter that talks about each point Iowa scores and the race to reaching 25 points a game. Like, it's hilarious, kind of, but sad at the same time. And as a fan, it's like, I've talked about this numerous times before. Like, you can bitch and moan about it, like I do numerous times, but guess what? You're still going to get up and watch it. I'll never say anything... Like, like I, I, there's points and times where I've sat back and I'm like, man, I really don't want Iowa to win. But obviously, I'm not ever cheering for Iowa to lose a game. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing that. If I have done that, I have apologized. But growing up an Iowa fan and watch these teams to go into where now, where again, you're a laughingstock of college football because the offense, the defense is great. I love Phil Parker. Like, it's it's been awesome. Cooper DeGene's one of the best players in college football, one of the greatest players, one of the most athletic players I've ever seen play at Iowa. Like he's insane. Whether you want to put him at corner, safety, nickelback, punt returner, like anything, you probably put him at quarterback and you do a job. Like he's one of the best players I've seen at Iowa. And it's just all for nothing when you know at the end of the season, if you, let's say, hypothetically make the Big Ten Championship game, you're not beating any of these teams. There's not even a remote chance. I know everybody wants to think that, but there's just not. You're going to a Big Ten championship game where these offenses in Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all have defenses to match. Iowa's defense carries this team, and it's not even close. In the Big Ten West, sure, that can get you by, but with Oregon and USC and UCLA and Washington all coming in, that's got to change. Because like we talked about, apart from USC, all those schools have very good are very good both sides of the ball maybe not us ucla in regards to offense but their defense is elite oregon's defense is elite washington's defense is very solid usc's defense is bad but usc's offense is good you say's offense is you know good not as good as usc's but it's good washington oregon's offenses are elite you're not going to be able to do that anymore you can't it's impossible you gotta have a good offense with a good defense if you want to actually compete you're gonna have to get both and I don't know how likely that's going to be. I don't know what Iowa does this offseason. I'm very intrigued to see how everything goes. I would hate for this to be how Kirk leaves. Like going out like this in regards to hating some certain aspects of the University of Iowa. I would hate that. Like he's been the coach of Iowa my entire life. I know no different. So it's kind of weird to think about there being, like we've toyed with the idea before, but now it's like it, it looks very possible it could happen. This is where it gets kind of weird. So we'll see how everything goes on Saturday. We'll see. It's a game that, again, they should win, but we said that against Minnesota. So I, I don't know. But we'll have to wait and see. It's a 2.30 kick on Saturday against Northwestern at Wrigley. We'll have to wait and see. 
but this thing is kind of a shit show and it's been a shit show for a while now. And now it's kind of like, I saw, I think it was David Eichholt that tweeted it, but the first domino has, has fallen. I guess you could say, however you want to look at that. The first domino has kind of fallen, but like I said, this offense is not going to get, I don't think, I don't want people to sit here and go like this offense is going to get instantly better. If they get a new offense coordinator and Kirk's like, if Kirk's still here and they get like a, they bring Joe Brady in from, the Bills, who was the off coordinator at LSU or the pass game coordinator at LSU with uh, when Joe Burrow was there. If they want to bring him in, that'd be pretty cool. Do I think it would happen? I don't know. But this thing's not going to get better overnight. So this is going to have to be a process. Whether Kirk wants to bring in an off coordinator or if he wants to step down, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to those. We'll cross that bridge once we get to it. But yeah, it's a, a, a lot of people are celebrating on Twitter and it's a, it's like, man, the, the wicked witch is dead kind of thing. So it's, it's just weird. It's just very weird. So we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But for the rest of college football, we have got uh, the first rankings of the college football playoff are out. And we brought up Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State earlier. All of them are within the top 11. Penn State comes in at the lowest at 11th. They lost to Ohio State. Michigan comes in at number three. Ohio State comes in at number one. To me... Ohio, and I understand why they did this because if you look at strength of schedule, Ohio State's is relatively clear of Michigan. Like it is. Like the game against Notre Dame. You look at the game against Penn State that they already played and won. Like you look at games like that, you go clearly, Ohio State, just based off strength of record, I guess you could say, is better than a lot of teams at college football. Because you look at Georgia, they struggled against Auburn, who's not very good. They struggled against South Carolina for a portion of the game. Sure, they blew out the only ranked team they've played, but compared to Ohio State who beat, you know, Notre Dame on the road. That was a big win. You beat Penn State like you did. Not necessarily a blowout, but you controlled the game. And you look at Michigan, who we've talked about before with the J.J. McCarthy stuff, they struggled against Bowling Green. They were up 13-7 to or 13-6 to at halftime. J.J. McCarthy had three first-half interceptions. Like, they only beat Rutgers 31-7. to Like, there was games like that. I know 31-7 is a big scoreline, but it wasn't like their most consistent game. But then you got games against Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana and Michigan State where they were never even close. So those are games where you look at it and they'll go absolutely annihilated them. But if you look at just strength of record, Ohio State is clear for the best team in college football, you would say at this point in time, right? You would say that. Because you could say Washington because they beat Oregon. But then you look at games against Arizona State where they won 15-7. You look at their games against like Arizona where they didn't play their greatest. You look at last week's game against Stanford, which is not the greatest game of all time. You look at game, You look at Florida State. Who, yeah, they beat LSU pretty convincingly week one. Yes, they beat Duke, another top 25 team. But you struggled against Boston College. You struggled against a 4-4 four and four Clemson team. Like, you've struggled in certain games this year. So you want to name the best team in college football strength of record, it probably is Ohio State. Probably is. That doesn't mean I need to agree with it. I agree with the thought process behind them being the number one team in the nation. I have said this before. I think Michigan's the best team in college football. I think they're most complete team in college football. Maybe that's just me going down to the quarterback position. I think they've got the best quarterback out of those. For for college standpoint, you could argue Michael Penix. But for the draft, I would probably say, given you if you looked at our last prospect rankings, we had J.D. McCarthy, number four, Michael Penix at five. He's probably the best out of those ones. I like Jordan Travis a lot. Carson Beck's a good quarterback. Kyle McCord's kind of, you know, up and down, but solid enough. You got a really good receiving core there. Good, really good running back tandem. But, yeah, I think Michigan probably is number one. Georgia... I it's kind of hard to see them drop off, but this is like the first rankings we had last year because didn't Tennessee wasn't Tennessee number one, and then Georgia ended up smacking the shit out of them, and then they they got back the number one spot. 
we could see a situation like that, Lord knows. But that Michigan-Ohio State game is going to be very interesting. we got a few weeks for that game. And Ohio State's got a pretty easy route to that Michigan game, Rutgers-Michigan State-Minnesota. I know Rutgers is bowl eligible, but it's Ohio State. Michigan still has Penn State to play. Michigan plays Purdue this week, and they got Penn State next week. So they've got some tough games to play. Maryland will not be necessarily an easy game for them, I don't imagine, given their passing offense. I know they lost to Northwestern, but Maryland's got a lot of power, firepower on offense. So maybe that would not be necessarily the easiest game. But Ohio State, given what just what I've watched, I understand who they've beaten, but just from what I've watched, I think Michigan is better. And again, maybe that goes down to the fact that Michigan hasn't played anybody. And yeah, I don't know. I just think Michigan looks really good. And then the rest of the rankings, so we have Florida State at number four. We have Washington number five. Those are the undefeated schools in the top five. We have one more to come, but we'll talk about them in a little bit. Uh, number six is Oregon. Number seven is Texas. We'll see how they maneuver the season with Quinn Ewers. Lord knows when Quinn Ewers comes back. We got Alabama at eight, who's got a very fun matchup with number 14, LSU this week. It's going to be an insane game. Number nine, Oklahoma. Number 10 is Ole Miss. 11, Penn State. 12 is Missouri. 13 is Louisville which the first show we recorded for the college football season was Louisville versus Georgia Tech. I did not think we'd see Louisville at this point in the season. Then we have LSU at number 14, Notre Dame at 15, Oregon State 16, Tennessee 17, Utah 18, UCLA 19, USC 20, which is interesting. They're actually at 24 in the coaches poll, but 20 in the college football poll. Kansas at 21, Oklahoma State at 22, Kansas State 23, Tulane at 24, and then Air Force at number 25, but they're on the under, undefeated team outside of the top five, which is weird because Air Force is number 17. And there's a lot of Iowa State fans, I'm sure, that are upset with seeing Oklahoma State in the top 25, given that Iowa State beat Oklahoma State a few weeks ago, or a month ago now, probably. But yeah, that's the first college football playoff ranking of the season. I wasn't 100% sure when this was going to be announced. Brady was talking to me about it on Sunday, but I I didn't really see when they exactly were announced it until it was announced, and then now I've seen the top five top four but I still think Michigan is the best team in college football just given what I've watched this year but you know that can change they play Penn State they play Ohio State who knows what's going to happen there but yeah I'm intrigued to see how the rest of the season goes it's going to be fun it's going to be fun whether it's uh what do you want to call it chaotic (laughs) I think can be the right word because you know what's really funny Iowa State plays Kansas this week we brought up Iowa State earlier there's a chance Iowa State gets put in the top 25 next week. There is a chance. I don't know how good of a chance it is since they lost to Ohio, but there is a chance because of the fact Kansas ranked 21 right now. Iowa State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in 5-3 and three right now. Iowa State fired their offensive coordinator last year, and their offense started off slow this year because they had a first-year offensive coordinator come in in Nate Schillhouse. Well, he was there before, but first-year offensive coordinator come in, and now their offense is actually looking very solid. Rocco Becks looked very good this season. If you'd have told me at the start of the season Rocco Beck would be outperforming Cade Matt, I know at the time, if you go off what you saw from Cade McNamara and what you've seen to this point of Rocco Beck, I know he's had more games. But if you were to tell me that Rocco Beck would be outperforming Cade McNamara before the season started, I would have called you crazy. And again, I understand he tore his ACL. I understand that. But just given what we've seen from both of them, it's interesting. But we've got some fun games this weekend as well. There's just a lot of really good football this weekend. Like, Notre Dame-Clemson could be kind of fun. I saw Dabo had a little meltdown at his press conference today, which is kind of fun. We have Kansas State-Texas at 11 o'clock on Saturday. We have Arizona State-Utah, low-key. Could be a solid game. Arizona State's a solid team, though. They're only 2-6. and six. They are a solid team. Georgia-Missouri, Georgia, 7-1 versus 8-0. Fun one there. Florida State-Pitt. Remember, Pitt's got two wins on the season. 
They've got exactly two wins on the season. One of them came against Wofford. One against one came against then undefeated Louisville. So you know what? Florida State be on upset alert because it's at Pitt. Then we got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We've got Maryland, Penn State, which could be kind of fun. We've got Iowa State, Kansas. We've got Cal versus Oregon, which may be fun if or if Cal's up to it. They could they could put up some points, but can their defense stop anybody? Not really. Uh, Washington, Penn, USC, the team Cal just played, USC. That should be a fun one. It's at USC. That's a night game, 6.30 on ABC. We've got Alabama, LSU, Oregon State, Colorado, and then UCLA, Arizona. Arizona, 5-3. and three. UCLA, very good defensively, though, as we talked about before. Very, very good defensively. But, man, college football's fun. Can't, how you can not love college football? It's a fun one. And I still I still think about the Emmanuel Acho tweet about Caleb Williams needs to sit out, sit out the rest of the season because he's not going to win the Heisman. He's not going to win a daddy. Like, that's hilarious. The college football is so much more than that. It's so much more than that, especially in a state where you don't have professional football. I know we talk about a lot of professional football on here, but I am an Iowan first, and I love college football. It's so much more than just a, a stepping stone to the NFL. To some people, it might all that might all it might only be that, but college football is awesome, especially going to games. It's beautiful. It's be- I went to the Iowa State game this year. It was so nice to be at a like a big time college football game. If you're from outside of Iowa, you might not view it like that, but it's that's a big-time college football game. Two undefeated teams, big-time rivalry. Like, it's a fun one. Very fun one. But moving over to the NFL, I guess, switching gears a little bit, Bills played the Buccaneers on Thursday Night Football, and to be honest, I'm sitting here <laughs> like... I, I When the game ended, when the, the Hail Mary at the end of the game reached the end zone and just landed in the end zone, I didn't know how to react. I did not know how to react at all. I just sat there. I was like, "That is that the game? Is the game over? Is that it? I didn't celebrate. I didn't do anything. Like, it was just a weird moment in the game. And I was sitting there with the Bills with the dub. Like, I said, I've said this on a... I did, well, I didn't say this on this show. I said it on Colin Company. I was on there on Friday. What'd you get listen to on 1650 The Fan? They got a, they got a web stra- uh, uh, live stream on the internet as well. If you want to go check it out on 1650thefan.com. But I was there on Friday... And I did not think that it would be possible at the start of the season for the Bills in Iowa State to have the exact same record. This point in the season, I didn't think it would be possible. But they're both 5-3. and three. Bills won a game. And Josh Allen, he weirdly, if you're just looking at purely numbers, is probably the front runner for the MVP, which is not... This year's been so weird. It's been such a weird season all around. So you look at the total touchdowns that he has compared to everybody else. Josh Allen, like, let's look at the stats real quick. So he has 22 touchdowns on the season, or 21 touchdowns total on the season. He's top five in passing yards. I'm pretty sure he still leads the league in completion percentage, which, you know me, I've never been the massive fan of the completion percentage statistic, but there's a lot of people out there that are. So we're going to bring that up for the sake of argument. But 17 touchdowns a season, passing the ball, which is... Currently tied for, well, it's second in the league. There's two tied for first. There's two on Kirk, which we'll talk about Kirk Cousins of the Vikings here in a little bit. But Josh has seven inter- or eight interceptions at this point in the season, which turnover seen Josh Allen has eight interceptions. Tua has seven. Patrick Mahomes has eight as well. Jalen Hurts has eight as well. So I the narrative around Josh is stuck. Why aren't we bringing it up with everybody else as well? Why is Josh the only one sticking with? And then we talk about the five rushing touchdowns as well. And his rushing numbers aren't, that great compared to what they've been in the past. We went over the yards per carry last time we had a show with Josh Allen, but this offense that we saw against the Buccaneers, the fast pacedness of it, Josh Allen running the ball more. 
that was what we expect to see. And then you see like Khalil Shakir having a great game. You see Gabe Davis having a good game. Dalton Kincaid having a good game with him as the tight end one. They didn't run 12 personnel once because they didn't bring a season, another tight end on the roster. Quentin Morris got, was a healthy scratch. Dawson Knox is on IR. He's getting wrist surgery. So it's just really funny that the Bills spent this entire offseason preparing for 12 personnel with Dolan Kincaid and Dawson Knox. Brandon B was talking about it all offseason, that they've been trying to replicate that from when he was with the Panthers when they had Ed Dixon and Greg Olson. And now we're sitting here where the Bills aren't even bringing a second tight end, let alone having enough to do 12 personnel. <laughs> like you're not even having a backup to do 12 personnel. We're not even doing anything. They're doing double birds to 12 personnel. For those of you who don't know, it's two tight ends, one back. That's what 12 personnel is. They're not even thinking about that anymore. It's not even an option. And they spread the ball a lot. And Khalil Shakir looked really good. And they rotated that third wide receiver. between uh, uh, Shakir, Sherfield, and Hardy. Rotated all those guys. And I thought they all did their, you know, had moments in the game. But Shakir more often than most because he led the team in receiver, which I did not have on my bingo card before the game started. But Kincaid... He's looked great this year. I just need him to take the training wheels off him. Uh, De- uh, James Cook looked good. They, did this, they didn't do the stupid delayed handoff. At least I don't remember it being there. That's great. Don't do that play again. It don't work. Now, I thought the game plan itself in regards to Josh running a little bit more, I thought I liked that a little bit more. I liked the no huddle aspect of it. But the, the shotgun from the one-yard line thing has got to stop. I saw a stat talking about Latavius Murray from the one-yard line. Yeah, because a lot of it's when he's lining up in shotgun. Like It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They ran a screenplay to Dalton Kincaid from the one-yard line in the shotgun. It was odd. It was very odd. Surprisingly, he got broken up. Wow, shocker. They need to stop doing that. I know Josh fumbled in the one-yard line against the Minnesota Vikings last year, but let's let's put him back under center if we're going. We have a six foot five, 250-pound quarterback. We should not be running shotgun from the one-yard line. The Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts, is nowhere near as big as Josh Allen, and that tush-push works perfectly damn near every time. They ran, they're ran; they running plays out of that formation now. They scored a touchdown running a basically reverse play from that formation, which is not something I ever expected them to do, but they're elevating the tush-push play. It's craziness. Absolutely craziness. But it's been a week since that game, so I'm trying to sit back and remember all the things that really happened in that game. But it... it not a pretty game, but I wasn't expecting it to be. I was not sitting there expecting the Bills to absolutely obliterate the Buccaneers in this game. Like, my dad had a friend text him before the game about the Bills covering. What was the line? Line was 10. I think the line at that point was 9.5. He asked my dad if he thought the Bills were covering, and my dad texted me about it. I was like, dude, I am not – I am I would not tell anybody to bet on the Bills right now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And the problem I have is this is supposed to be the area where they're stacking wins. The Jets game, I could take. I could take the Jets win. When it, before I saw what actually happened, I could take the Jets win. That one's going to hurt the rest of the season now. But before the season, I would not have been shocked with that loss. The Jaguars game. Jaguars are playing really well. Some people even say they're the best team in the AFC. I can accept that loss. The Patriots loss, that one hurts. A lot. That's a terrible Patriots team that you lost to. Absolutely horrific Patriots team you lost to. You looked like, they looked like the prime Patriots that game. 29 points. They didn't score 29 points all season. Even scared. They got shut out 34-0 by the Saints. By the New Orleans Saints. Like, that is, that is insane. And the Bills allowed them to have 29 points. Like, there's a lot of problems with the defensive side of the ball, namely because of the injuries. But this team is not, fi- this team is better than 5-3. and three. 
That's all. I, they're, they're, for whatever reason, they're coaching themselves into a freaking corner, and it's scaring the hell out of me. And I need Sean McDermott to take his hands out of the offense. I really need him to take his hands out of the offense because this offense could be really good. With James Cook playing as good as he's been this year, with Josh Allen now running the ball again, I need Josh to go back to talking shit again, which is just what he does when he's at his best. He's getting hit all the time. He's ta- he's talking shit. Now, I don't need him taking like insane hits. I don't need him to be the only running attack they have, which has been the answer for the, only few year- for the past few years. But I need him to have other people in the run game, and that's what they're trying to do. They brought in freaking uh, Leonard Fournette, which is something I never thought they'd do. I was at the Bills-Jaguars game, Josh Allen's rookie year, when he sprinted from the sideline to fight Shaq Lawson on the opposite pylon. Like, it was the most crazy. They brought in the tone at the exact same time. It made no sense whatsoever, but it happened, and it was beautiful. I never thought I'd see Leonard Fournette play for the Bills, and yet here we are. The Bills also went out and traded for Rasul Douglas, which is a great signing, or great trade, actually, because of the fact the Bills' cornerback situation has been somewhat of a, I don't know, revolving door since last year. Because Trey White, remember, got hurt towards ACL against the New Orleans Saints on Thanksgiving two years ago now. And then the following year with Trey White trying to get his feet back under him, the Bills rotated Dane Jackson. They rotated Christian Benford. They rotated Kyrie Elam. They never had a set guy opposite Trey White or opposite whoever. They never had that set guy. They rotated everybody. They had a three-way cornerback battle opposite Trey White to start this season, and Christian Benford won. And Christian Benford's had a very solid season this year. But now with Trey White tearing his Achilles, you're going back to square one where you don't necessarily have that guy you're 100% confident with, so much so they brought in 35-year-old Josh Norman. Well, it wasn't good his last time in Buffalo, let alone his time now. And he played some special teams in the game against the Buccaneers, sure. But as a corner at this point, no. I was not confident going the rest of the season with a cornerback position. I'm fine with Benford. Benford's solid. I have no issues with Benford. I'd never really been a massive fan of Dane Jackson, and I needed them to go out and get somebody. They were linked with Jalen Johnson from the Chicago Bears. They were linked with Levi Wallace, who was, of course, on the team before. But they went out and got Rasul Douglas. And I'm very happy with them getting Rasul Douglas. Because a few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Rasul Douglas signed with the Green Bay Packers, kind of out of nowhere, if I remember correctly, but came to the Green Bay Packers and just lit the world alight. He was absolutely ridiculous. You look at two straight years for the Packers, five interceptions and then four interceptions. Five interceptions and four interceptions. This year he's got an interception as well. So the past three years, he's gotten 10 interceptions. That is a very good return. That is a very, very nice return. And what's also nice, he's a bigger corner as well. 6'2", 209. He's not going to get bullied by anybody. Like, that's what you want to see. I want to see how him and Benford do as a cornerback pairing because that could be very solid. We already liked Taron Johnson in the slot, like in the nickelback slot. That's perfect. He's a much bigger dude than Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson's 5'11", 5'10", somewhere around there, 180 pounds. He's 6'2", 209, 210. That's a much bigger corner for the Buffalo Bills, and that's what I really like to see. And then you got Christian Benford, 6'1", 205. Like, big corners, big physical corners. That's what I want to see from the Bills. Need some physicality on defense. I would like to see them go after somebody on the defensive line, given Daquan Jones' injury, but hey, Ed Oliver's playing really, really well this year. So, hey, if you want, if you think you can make it work on the D-line, that's fine. They were getting gashed by Rashad White in this game, but a lot of that came in the past game. They got beat up a little bit by the Patriots run game, but nothing crazy, nothing absolutely ridiculous. But the Patriots game was more because Ed Oliver was a well, – he didn't play in that game. He was resting an injury, so he didn't play. But Ed Oliver's playing really well this year. But as a team, 
I think they can play a lot better than what they have, and that's kind of the upsetting part about it. The coaching, again, coaching them in the corner. We'll see. We'll see how they adjust. They're playing the Bengals this week. They're starting to get into the hard part of their schedule, which is not very filling me with a lot of confidence given the fact they're four and three, or five and three coming out of that. But you play the, the Bengals this week. You play a Broncos team that has a very solid Russell Wilson playing for them right now. They're coming off a win against the Chiefs. You play them on Monday Night Football. Then you got the Jets again. Then you got at the Eagles, which is not an easy place. And then finally you got your bye week. And then you play at Kansas City. Then you play the Cowboys. Then you play at the Chargers. And then you play the Patriots and Dolphins in Miami. Like, that's not an easy last half of the season. That is a very hard last part of the season. I am not looking forward to that whatsoever. The Patriots loss, brutal loss. Absolutely brutal loss. But, hey, we move. We move. We move on. We keep moving forward. Josh Allen tallies third game of the season with 20. Third game of the season and 23rd career game with 300 passing yards. Josh Allen just needs three more 300-yard passing games to tie Jim Kelly for most in team history. This is what we've talked about before. Josh Allen be the best quarterback the Bills have ever had. I think you can make an argument for it. I think you can make an argument for it. And it's it's not one of the – like we've talked about this Patrick Mahomes with Joe Montana. Or like Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback in Chiefs history, but he's not the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Chiefs. I think Josh Allen is both because the Bills outside of Jim Kelly have not really had a lot of great success from the quarterback position. Like you look at the quarterbacks throughout the drought period. Like you got Drew Bledsoe came in. So let's start off. Let's go back to when Kelly retired. You had Todd Collins come in. Todd Collins was there. Sut. You traded for Rob Johnson. Sut. You got Doug Flutie in from Canadian football. Had some moments. Had some good moments. And then you put in Rob Johnson again. You had Alex Van Pelt in that time period as well. Doug Flutie's done. You trade for Drew Bloodsoe. You know, a guy who's been to a Super Bowl, the first $100 million player in NFL history, like you bring him in. That's fun stuff. That excites the fans. You change the uniforms to navy blue, and that now brings the excitement level down to a, down a little bit. But you got Drew Bloodsoe there. Drew Bloodsoe does some nice things in Buffalo, but then, you know, kind of goes downhill a little bit, goes to the Cowboys. You draft J.P. Lossman, you bring in Kelly Holcomb. Neither one of them are very good. Draft J.P. Lossman in the first round. You know, the same draft as Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, and Ben Roethlisberger. And then, you know, you move on from that. You draft Trent Edwards in the second round. The same year you draft Marshawn Lynch. So you got a nice running back quarterback tandem that you think is going to lead you on to the future. Trade Marshawn Lynch to the Seattle Seahawks. You got Fred Jackson there. But Trent Edwards isn't working out because you built zero off to line for him. So guess what? You bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is awesome. You got a, a quarterback from Harvard and a running back from Coe. For the Bills. Like, it was awesome. But the seventh-round receiver, Stevie Johnson. Like, it was beautiful. Not going to the playoffs beautiful, but, you know, it was fun to watch. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick's time in Buffalo is done. He goes on to the Jets, I think, was the, his following team after the Bills. And then you draft E.J. Manuel in the 2013 draft. Only quarterback selected in the first round. That was the Geno Smith draft as well. The Jets took him in the second round. Bills take E.J. Manuel. Doug Marone gets his guy. They are linking him a, a, them heavily to Ryan Nassib, his quarterback when he was coach at Syracuse. They end up going with E.J. Manuel in this first round, pick 16. E.J. Manuel has some moments, but he gets hurt, and then you bring in Thad Castle. Thad Castle, or Thad Castle, what? No, from Blue Mountain State. Thad Lewis <laughs> from Duke, a little bit different, comes into play for the Buffalo Bills around that time. You have Jeff Tool there as well. You've got Matt Castle coming in the next offseason. Tyrod Taylor comes in. Tyrod Taylor beats them both out for the starting job and, you know, leads the Bills to the playoffs. And then you have Nathan Peterman come in for Tyrod Taylor after some rough games against, I think, the Jets. I know the Saints, but the Jets might have been in there as well. Peterman comes in, throws five interceptions and a half against the Chargers. Tyrod comes back in, gets hurt. Peterman plays a couple more games a season. Tyrod gets traded to Cleveland. Bills trade up to draft Josh Allen. They sign A.J. McCarron in the offseason. And he got Nathan Peterman, A.J. McCarron, Josh Allen. Nathan Peterman wins the battle. They trade A.J. McCarron to the Raiders. Peterman 
does Peterman things in week one against the Raiders, or against the Ravens, sorry. Josh Allen is forced to start second game of this year of his career against the Chargers, and then, you know, gets hurt against Houston, Texas a few weeks later. Peterman comes back in. Peterman's there. He sucks. They call in Derek Anderson off the Calf course. Put in Derek Anderson on Monday Night Football against the Ra- the Patriots. Plays against the Colts. Gets hurt sometime in there. Nathan Peterman plays against the Bears. They get absolutely shit stomped. But hey, he was the first person to score a rushing touchdown against the Bears that season, which is sick. And then you bring in Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley torches the Jets. You have a bye week. Josh Allen comes back in against the Jaguars, which was the game we talked about before with Leonard Fournette. And Josh Allen has been the starter ever since in Buffalo. So apart from Josh Allen, looking at that drought period, you do not have any quarterbacks that you could say are good in there. Like, at least the Chiefs, yes, they haven't had a great quarterback history as well. You got Len Dawson in the early days of the franchise, but you don't have a lot of great quarterbacks in there, like Elvis Grabach's in there. I think Gus Farratt might be in there as well. You got Matt Castle in there. Alex Smith was a fun quarterback. Like, you have other people in there, but Joe Montana, Todd Blackledge. Joe Mon- I don't know why I brought Todd Blackledge like in the same breath as Joe Montana. But Joe Montana, you know, you know, four-time Super Bowl champion, so you got that guy coming in here the Kansas City. When the Chiefs were kind of on the downturn, Joe Montana helped get them the AFC Championship game, but you you know, you know, ran into the steamroller known as the Buffalo Bills until the Super Bowl, and then they get steamrolled. But that's not important. But Joe Montana is the best quarterback to ever put on a Chiefs uniform. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Chiefs. Or to Patrick Mahomes is the greatest Chiefs quarterback of all time. He's not the greatest quarterback to put on a Chiefs uniform. Joe Montana's legacy is in San Fran. But when Joe Montana put on a Chiefs uniform, that made him the best quarterback the Chiefs have ever had. But and I, this, I hope this makes sense. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible. But I think Josh Allen is, even a Jim Kelly, I think my dad's even said it. I think Josh Allen's the best quarterback to ever play for the Bills. And he's the greatest Bills quarterback of all time. Like you got Joe Ferguson. You got Jack Kemp. You got Daryl LaMonica. <laughs> you, got, you got some other quarterbacks in there. But, yeah, the, the top four Bills quarterbacks, it goes like Josh Allen, Jim Kelly, Joe Ferguson, Jack Kemp. You can put Jack Kemp above Joe Ferguson. But Joe Ferguson was my, one of my first football cards, so I always have a soft spot for Joe Ferguson. But, yeah, I, I would put Josh Allen up there. <laughs> so, we'll see. Hopefully, he gets that the rest of the season. It's going to be really cool. But I think Josh Allen, though the Bills aren't playing great, I think given his total touchdowns and the gap that he has there, you might say he's the MVP for it. And I never really thought I'd say that. But that, given where we are right now – like, the start of the season, he wasn't. Then he had a few good games against the Commanders and Raiders. He's the MVP favorite. And then they obviously, they had the game against the Dolphins. So he was MVP favorite again. They lost the Jaguars, lost the Patriots. And it's just been, it's up and down. That's what we get this season. But Brock Purdy, another guy who's been favorite for the MVP. Yeah, hasn't had the greatest couple weeks for the for the San Francisco 49ers. Has gotten back-to-back-to-back losses. And he got hit in the head against the crap Minnesota Vikings did get hit in the head there but that's not like he wasn't playing good before then he didn't play good against the Cleveland Browns like remember we watched the game on the show he had one yard passing going to their last drive of the game he obviously had a very good last drive of the game but before then he had one yard pass in the entire half one yard and he obviously had an interception in that game as well look at the game against the Vikings trying to throw a ball across his body twice didn't work out the game against the Bengals this week I don't know what the hell he was looking at for the first inter- or the second interception of Logan Wilson. I don't know what the hell he was looking at there. But given the whole Tua situation last year, given how we talked about last week that there's I don't, well, I don't remember if we actually got able to talk about this. I don't remember when he got actually put on concussion protocol. That was Tuesday or Wednesday. But 
I don't think there's ever been a quarterback going to concussion protocol Wednesday and play Sunday. And Brock Purdy did that. So either he's built different or that's just negligence on the 49ers part. And I think it could be, you know, the latter. <laughs> that's just, it's ridiculous. He's not healthy. He got hit in the head against the Bengals too. He grabbed his head instantly. He ran the ball well against the 49ers, but, or against the Bengals, sorry. But yeah, there's some rough throws in there. Really rough throws. I think he's a solid quarterback. I, again, I don't say this as like, Brock Purdy sucks. Like, ah, I told you, Brock Purdy sucks. We never said Brock Purdy sucks. I think we had him at 13th best quarterback in the NFL a couple weeks ago when he was the quote-unquote MVP favorite. But he shouldn't have played, really, against the Bengals. He shouldn't have been. That's just my humble opinion about it. But we'll see what they do after the bye week. Give him a couple weeks rest. We'll see how he does. But other games that went on this weekend, we had the Chargers beating the Bears on Sunday Night Football. We had the Cowboys piss, beating the absolute piss out of the Rams, 43-20. We had the Vikings beating the Packers 24-10, but at what cost? Losing Kirk Cousins for the season with a torn Achilles. They did bring in Josh Dobbs today via trade. They traded him from the Arizona Cardinals, but they're going with Jaron Hall. I want to see what Jaron Hall can do. I really like Jaron Hall out of BYU. I want to see what he can do full-time as a starter here. Josh Dobbs has played solidly for the Arizona Cardinals. He played solid for the Tennessee Titans at the end of last year. So, I mean, he's a solid option. He's better than some of the other options they had out there in free agency. I saw the link to Tom Brady, which I don't think he can't. I don't even think he can. Like, I, I didn't even think about this till now. I don't think he can be on a team because he's an owner in the NFL team. He's a part over the Raiders, so he can't He can't play. So that, that's such a why – why did – that's Mike Florio for you. But then you also had, like, Carson Wentz was brought up as an option. Like, at this point, you would probably take Josh Dobbs, right? But we'll see how – we'll see how Jaron Hall does because he's expected to start. But speaking of Josh Dobbs and his time in Tennessee – Will Levis, uh, what a game against the Atlanta Falcons. What a game. Four touchdowns, 238 passing. All those touchdowns, at least the ones that I can remember, were all beautifully thrown deep balls. Like, absolutely perfect. Now, we'll see what happens this next coming week. So, who do the Titans got this week? We'll see who they got. They got the Steelers. Is that a is that Sunday Night Football? Oh, no, it's Thursday Night Football. Oh, that's in two days. Nice. <laughs> so we'll see how Tan- how he does in that game. If he's ex- he should be expected to start, right? You would imagine so. But he looked really good. He looked really, and I love the revisionist history on Twitter. I love it so much. People were dogging on this dude going to the draft. Absolutely dogging on him. We defended this guy a few times in the show. There were some questionable games that he had last year, but the talent was there. I didn't necessarily like how he handled himself throughout the whole combine thing. The arm talent was there in this game, but he did not show it off this offseason at all. And the interviews, you know, partially why he fell in the second round. But if he can play well for the Titans, good for them. Good for them. I'm intrigued to see where Will Levis or uh, where Malik Willis goes after this. I like Malik Willis a lot. I want to see him do well. And Will Levis, apparently Titans fans were booing Will uh, Malik Willis when he went into the game. Why? Malik Willis has done absolutely nothing wrong at any point in his time as the Tennessee Titans. I don't know why he would get booed, but that's whatever. Uh, Will Levis, though, great game. Great game. DeAndre Hopkins, 128. Derrick Henry, over 100 yards. Good game for the Titans against the Falcons. Devin Ritter, I don't know if he got injured or benched. Either way, he shouldn't be the starter going to their next game. They got the Saints beating the Colts with Gardner Minshew. Derek Carr, two touchdowns this game. Rashid, one touchdown with three catches, is what you like to see. You have the Dolphins beating the Patriots, 31-17. Tua, three tutties in the game. Jalen Waddell had 121 yards receiving and a touchdown in this game as well. Tyreek Hill had 112 yards receiving. He's over 1,000 yards receiving already, and Tua looks good. Tua looks really good right now. 
Really good. The deep balls there, it's very fun to watch the Dolphins this year. I hate saying that, but they are a fun team to watch, and it's just a shame that they got absolutely shit-stomped by the Buffalo Bills a few weeks ago. Then we got the Jets beating the Giants. Gross game. Gross game. I'm not even going to talk. We're not even going to talk about that game. Jaguars beat the Steelers 20-10. We got the Eagles beating the Commanders in a scare. 30 to 31. We had the Panthers beating the Texans in the battle of the number one and two overall picks. Bryce Young came out on top and outplayed CJ Stroud in that game, 15 to 13. Seahawks beat the Browns 24 to 20. Then the Broncos, again, like we talked about before, beating the Chiefs 24 to 9. Patrick Mahomes throwing two interceptions, has the flu. Patrick Mahomes' flu game did not go to plan. Then we had the Ravens beating the Cardinals in a little bit of a scare as well, 31 to 24. And the Bengals beating the 49ers 31 to 17. And then Monday Night Football, Jameer Gibbs. Crazy what happens when you get a guy 12th overall and he's actually allowed to play. 152 yards on the ground, not to mention a bunch of yards receiving as well as the Lions went on to win 26-14. The Lions rookies played really well. San Laporta, 57 yards and a touchdown that game. Jameer Gibbs, 37 yards on the receiving end as well. Then you have, you know, Jack Campbell. You know, he might have tried to end Jimmy Garoppolo's career. That's not the point here. (laughs) But, man, Lions look good. Lions are a fun team to watch. And I won this game because of the Lions rookies. uh, Jameer Gibbs and San Laporta. Now, I am scared. I am very scared this week in the NFL and fantasy football, namely for one league, because the league I was just talking about where Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta won me the game, guess what? The Lions are on buys. The Jaguars are on buys. The 49ers are on buys. So I've got Dave Montgomery out. He's already out anyways, but bye week. Travis Etienne out, bye week. Jameer Gibbs, bye week. Brandon Ayuk, bye week. Sam Laporta, bye week. So that's a lot of key players. Out. So this week at running back, we're going with Alexander Madison and Jerome Ford. We'll see how well that one works out. Lord knows, but I don't. I, I hate this season in fantasy because this team is not that bad. I'm convinced it's not that bad, and yet we're two and six. Very upsetting. But we'll see how everybody does once we get back from the bye week. I I think this team's fine. Like if I read you out a team that had Lamar Jackson, Travis Etienne, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, uh, Jamar Chase, Puka Nakua. Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid, Zay Flowers, Brandon Ayuk, um, Tank Dell, Taysom Hill, Jamar, Jerome Ford, Alexander Madison, Dustin Hopkins, and Chief Steve. You told me they're two and six. You would not be. You would, I wouldn't believe you. I don't believe you. I've and I've won every single game this week apart from one, which is a damn shame. I lost my one game in fantasy hockey as well, which sucked. I lost that game by three points. That was brutal. I thought I was going to run the table this year. Absolutely thought I was going to run the table. Absolute sham that I lost this game. Absolute sham. But, hey, you know what? We move. We move. We didn't even talk about this. Iowa was, until recently, they were a tw- They were the first FBS team over under, first FBS game, Iowa Northwestern, to a total over under less than 30 points ever. They are now 31 points. That's the over under in that game, but... I think that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of Logan Blackman Show. A little ranty, but not, like, too terrible. We had to talk about the Brian Ferentz thing, obviously. But hope you enjoyed it. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better next time. And, yeah, make sure to follow Logan Blackman Show on all those different forms of social media. We will have a quarterback prospect ranking post out for you, hopefully, by Thursday. If not, make sure to look for it on Friday. So go to loganblackmanshow.com and check that out there as well. And I've been Logan Blackman, and I will see you all later. Peace.